Okay, so today we are in the final stage of our sermon series, something that we've been talking about for the past, this is our fifth Sunday, which is the Wesleyan quadrilateral. It's uh, the ways that we, um, or the, the, the stages that we go when we try to understand God's will. And that is scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. So in today... The, the final one, I call it action. Now, action is one, not one of the pillars, but when we think, if we think um, about us living a Christian life, scripture, tradition, experience, and reason should be the root of how we move forward with our lives. Let me turn this on. And I started this sermon series telling you that we have to be radicals. Radical is not the one that wanders around the weeds, but it's the one that comes back to the source of a tradition. Because radical comes from the word root. So the idea after, after going and understanding these four pillars is that we can become radicals. By going back to the source of our tradition, we should be able to, to live up our faith in different ways. So let's go to the passage that, that we have for today. This comes from James chapter 1, verses 22 and to 25. And it says this, Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are and what they look like. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye, and sticks with it, is not distracted, scatterbrained, but a man or woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in their action. Oh, I think I put the wrong one there. So what I want us to keep in mind here, oh, there we go, is this. So when we talked the first Sunday about Scripture, we went through the understanding that the root of Scripture is love. The root of tradition is clarity. Through the life of those that live before us, we can understand God's will through his, God's commandments. The root of experience is knowledge, and the root of reason is the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just do a quick review, a quick proactive review of what it means to us, each one of these roots. But the key thing that you need to remember from this passage that we just read is act on what you hear. It doesn't say stay there, meditate, and let life go by. No, it says, act on what you hear. The scripture is constantly calling us to action. Because life with Jesus is not about the simple knowledge of good, but life with Jesus is about the realization of that good. When we have a personal relationship with Jesus, when we are followers of Jesus, we are not called just to be, oh, Okay, we know it. We got it. We're called to live that, to act on it, to 
that good and everything we know should be part of how we move in life. Say little, do much. So let's go through love. The first pillar. So by now, I spent like 40 minutes almost on the first Sunday talking about this. You should have an idea that God is love. So if what we do, whatever actions we take, love is no part of it, then God is not there. If when we take action on something and we see that love is not at the center, be 100% sure that God is not part of it. So let me go through scripture. It's self-explanatory of what, how love should look like. So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well. So you can love in a wrong way. You can love something so much that must probably might not be the good way to love. His, uh, scripture says, love much, but well. We need to learn how to love well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not a sentimental gush. So what we're getting here is that a lot of things that we might uh, have the interpretation within us that is love, it just might not be it. Live a lover's life. Circumspect and exemplary. A life Jesus will be proud of. Bountiful and in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. And this is what I like, making Jesus Christ attractive to all. If the actions that we take, we put it in public, will people like what they're seeing? Will that make Christ attractive to people? And if the answer is no, well, we might not be acting with love, and if we might not be acting with love, that means that God is not there. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Jesus, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor, says the writer. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep spirit friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourself the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but did, didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantage of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside privilege of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. I think these Bible verses are self-explanatory of how love looked like. It's selfless. It is about dying ourselves and just pushing others ahead. It's not about us getting a status. It's not about us keeping our privilege. It's about 
helping others be ahead. And the greatest and greatest example is Jesus. Like being in the image of God, like being God self, became human. And the part that I didn't put there, and that he was murdered, he was crucified. So I think if whatever way you're living your life, actions that you're taking, are a little bit far away from what we just read, then you are having issues with the first pillar of the quadrilateral. We are not living a life according to scripture that tells us that God is love and that we should love each other and how we should love each other and what love means. Let's move to the second one, tradition. Tradition is clarity for us. Through tradition, we're able to understand God's commandments. But we need to make a difference between tradition and traditionalism. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And I suppose I should add, it is traditionalism that gives tradition such a bad name. And I come from different backgrounds, and traditional churches were not seen very well. So it took time for me to understand the difference between tradition and traditionalism. To see how, um, through tradition, we are able to see those that live before us and how they live their faith. And how traditionalism, what it tried to do mostly, was to keep things in the same place. Traditionalism uh, was static, was limiting people's welcoming. Well, the Holy Spirit opens the door to everybody. Now, for the sake of the fact that we are a Methodist church, I'm going to focus just shortly on what the Methodist tradition teaches. What do we learn from those that live before us in the Methodist church, in the Methodist movement? When the Methodists start expanding, they, they didn't bring just a message. They brought books. They brought learning, Sunday school. They taught people how to read and write. They brought an infrastructure. They had class meetings. They had prayer meetings. They had missionaries societies. In 1775, there were 15,000 Methodists in the U.S. Less than 100 years later, there were over a million Methodists in the U.S. These people did not just say, go back home and say, oh, we have a new heart. This group of Methodists in the early stages of the U.S., they questioned the way that things were being ruled. Prisons, educational systems, slavery, women's rights to vote. They did not focus on bringing people to church. They focus on getting the church out of the building. They wanted to transform society. They were moving. They were not stopping. And that made them grow. Their focus was not on like, come, come and, and hear our preachers. The focus was on, we're going to make this country a better place, a godly place. So, what do we learn from tradition? 
is that we don't stop. We keep moving. And we are called as Methodists to change the world around us. And just a quick reminder how Methodism started. It wasn't a denomination. Methodism started as a way to bring a renewal to the Anglican Church, a group of people that thought that God was guiding them into a new stages, and they wanted to make the Anglican Church a better and different place. But they were not welcome because the traditionalism in the Anglican Church was so strong that the way these Methodists were acting did not fit their box. What happened? A new denomination started. One of the greatest denominations started. Move to the next one. Experience. Knowledge. This is one of my favorites. Because I think scripture also speaks of it. Because it's not, like I explained two Sundays ago, the knowledge and the experience is not just about what we experience with God, but it's about what other people experience with God. And my favorite part is in Acts 15. So I'm going to do not read the entire passage. I'm just going to summarize it. There were a lot of there were a lot, a new a lot of new followers of Jesus Christ throughout the old world, and a lot of them were Gentiles. They were not Jews, so there was a group of, of Jewish believers in Jesus that came to this group and say, "You need to be circumcised in order to in order to be saved." So Paul the apostle did not like that. Because Paul saw that the Holy Spirit was already working in these people. So the churches, the Gentile churches, sent Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to deal with the leadership of the Christian church. And there is an argument where they say, well, no, 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 no. These Gentiles need to follow Moses' law. They, if they want to be saved, Moses' law is what they have to follow. Then Paul doesn't like it. Peter speaks about it too. James talks about it too. And say, so like, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Here we have Paul and Barnabas saying all the wonderful things that are happening in their midst. And guess what? They are not circumcised. So what are you trying to do here? What are you bringing, says Peter? Why do you want to put some burden in these people that we are not even capable to, car to, to carry? The Jewish leadership in Jerusalem wanted to keep a status quo with a new flavor. But the Holy Spirit broke through. Was poured upon people that were not expected to be poured and miracles were happening. New things, a new church, a new life was being created. Which brings me to my segue, reason. We saw last week, as the Holy Spirit being the root of reason. In the, whatever way we reason, we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And when I was praying about it, so things kept coming to my mind, but one thing that I remember is throughout Scripture, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the creator. It's the one hovering over the waters, the one bringing you life, the one that was poured during Pentecost and created this new movement. The Holy Spirit is 
a creator. And I think Isaiah talks about this moment better than ever. Isaiah says, this is what God says. The God who built a road right through the ocean, who craves a path through pounding waves, the God who summons horses and chariots and armies, they lay down and they can get up. They're snuffed out like so many candles. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over all history. Be alert. Be present. I am about to do something brand new. It is bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands. While animals will say thank you, the coyotes and the buzzards, because I provided water in the desert, rivers through the sun-baked earth, drinking water for the people I choose, the people I made especially for myself, a people custom-made to praise me. I'm making new things. God is constantly from beginning to end making new things. In Genesis there is creation. In Revelation we have the new cities. God is moving. The Spirit is moving. So when we reason, when we think about what decisions we should be making, this is what has to come to your mind. I am made in God's image. God is creator. We are called to create. So when you think about what God wants for you, for your community, for your church, it will never be we want things to stay in the way they are. It will always be with this question, what are you up to God and how can I be part of this creation? So those are the four pillars. So I'm going to finish these sermons with two riddles. Is anybody familiar with what a miser is? Okay, see a lot of faces? I, I didn't know until last week. I had an idea, I didn't know it was called a miser. What does a miser lose when he loses his fortune? So this riddle, this question comes from this story. Uh, there is a miser that he had a fortune hidden in, in a yard under a tree. And every Sunday, he used to go under that tree and dig it out, count his fortune, count his fortune put it back, and, and cover it with dirt again. Every Sunday, every week, he was doing the same thing. Without spending a penny of it, he used to go to the garden under the tree, dig the treasure out, count it, put it back, cover it with dirt, and live. So one day, a thief realized that this guy was doing this. So he stole the miser's fortune. So next Sunday, the miser came, dig a hole, and realize that the treasure was not there anymore. He started screaming. He went crazy. Then the neighbors came and said, what happened? And the miser said, I had a fortune hidden right here. Every Sunday I used to come, dig it out, count it, and put it back, but it's not there anymore. So one of the neighbors asked to the miser, like, so what do you do with your fortune? Do you spend it? And the miser said, no, no, why would I do that? No, no, I just kept it there. So this neighbor grabs a bunch of rocks, throws it into the hole, and says, there you go, count those. They will do the same thing for you. 
So what does the miser lose when he loses his fortune? If he was not spending it, what did he lose? So to our eyes, he was overreacting. He was not spending any money. So losing that is the same thing as losing anything. But he lost a precious, a secret object for him. Something that gave him a sense of security. So even though this miser did not pretend to spend a penny, in his head, having that treasure hidden there, gave him the sense of security that his life was going to be okay. Gave him that idea that as long as that stays there, he will not have to deal with any difficulties in his life. So, second riddle. What does a religious person lose when he loses his church? Think in the same case as the miser. They lose nothing. First, the church is not ours. The church is God's. So if we lose a church, we lose nothing. Now, but if we create the analogy with a miser, if we go every Sunday and we count that treasure that we have that we call church, but then we go back home and we leave it there to come back every Sunday, like the miser, we lose nothing and the church will be equal to a bunch of rocks. What does a religious person loses when they lose the church? Nothing. But keeping the church as it is, it gives us a sense of security. The good old days. Or better not to risk to keep what we have and not um, do something that will make us lose people. So we keep that treasure there. Steady. We don't touch it. When a church doesn't live up to its purpose, it's like a bunch of rocks. It means nothing. It's a false sense of security. We are the church. The body of Christ is the church. It's a living being. It's not a building. Churches, according to the history of Methodism, they leave the building to make the world a better place. Churches were guided by the Spirit, creating new things and not just staying how they were. So you are God's image. You were created by a creator. You share God's identity. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Are you creating? Are you moving through new waves? Are you seeing God creating paths in the desert? Or are you static? Because every time we get on the way of a constant movement, we might be getting in the way of God. And I don't know if you remember, but when Peter was getting in Jesus' way, he said, get away from me, Satan. So when we are getting in God's way, 
we are becoming Satan. We are the opposition. We might be fighting with God's self. So you are God's image. Take ownership of that image and create new things. And everything you do, do it with love, a selfless love that shows appreciation for others beyond yourself. When you do that, remember those that came before you that lived everything, their own life, to make the world a better place. Valuing the experience of others, not thinking that you're better than them, but equal, and according to Scripture, God, the Holy Spirit, might be doing something in them that we cannot even fathom. Let yourself be guided by the Holy Spirit. Just, just, just living, honoring the image that you were created from. If you're not loving, if you're not valuing and learning from those that came before you, if you don't see others as equals and their experience and life with Christ as value as yours, if you are not constantly moving and creating as a person guided by the Holy Spirit, you're not honoring that image. We are created as images of God, and we're called to live in such a way. Let me pray. God, we give you thanks for your love. We give you thanks for your grace. And we, I pray today, like in Pentecost, like Moses praying for the leadership of Israel, that you, Spirit of God, come upon us. Bring new life. Bring a transformation of our hearts. Let us be guided by love. Let us be guided by tradition. Let us be guided by experience of others and ours. Let us be guided by the Holy Spirit. That we can be one body, that we can be a church that is not contained by a building, but that we can be a church that can bring a transformation to our city and our surroundings. God, I pray more than anything that we can honor you by living as your image barriers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.